Hello, this is Rabbi Daniel Karopkin. Welcome to this podcast for learning the classic philosophical work by Maimonides, or Rambam, called More Nevuchim, or Guide for the Perplexed. This text has been studied for centuries by great scholars, Jewish and non-Jewish alike. It seeks to reconcile Aristotelian and Neoplatonic philosophy with the Torah of our people, and is considered the perfect entree for reconciling one's spiritual and rational personas. Join me for half-hour installments as we explore the text together. Hello uh, and welcome. Uh, today is Hanukkah, it's the fourth day of Hanukkah, and uh, wish you a happy Hanukkah. We are here um, at the Facebook Live uh, page for webyeshiva.org, and we are studying Moren Vuchim, Maimonides' Guide for the Perplexed. We are still in the same in the first section of Moren Vuchim. We are today going to be studying Chapter 52, um, and Chapter 52 is a continuation of what we would call the Rambam's negative theology, or his elaboration on this idea that when we talk about the, a description of God, we are unable to positively describe God, but rather can only describe God by what he is not. And this is by nature of the fact that God is completely unitary. And as a completely unitary being, anytime we try to describe God or uh, ascribe attributes to God, we are in, in some way detracting from his absolute unity. So that's the Rambam's general thesis, and in chapter 52 today, the Rambam wants to provide us with some categorizations and definitions. And we're actually not going to be breaking down the entire text today. The chapter text is too long, and it gets a little bit technical in the center. But what I'm going to try and do is simplify the text as much as I possibly can so that it becomes understandable. So uh, the best way to really break this down is to use um, a, a very small amount of text that I've provided for you in a handout today, which you can easily download if you open up a new tab on your browser um, and go to the Facebook group called Shi'ur in Morenevuchim. You'll be able to download a PDF which uh, is entitled Morenevuchim 152, Five Types of Attributes and Defining God by His Actions. Now, the, what the Rambam is going to do is he's going to divide this chapter into five parts. And the five parts of the chapter are trying to describe five attributes. And that's really the first three lines of the chapter on page 114 in the Pines edition, which we are using. And let me read this for you. An attribute predicated of anything, or anything which has attributes, of which thing it is accordingly said that it is such and such, must necessarily belong to one of the following five groups. And the Rambam is devoted now to dividing down these five groups of different types of attributes, or how you describe anything that exists. You can describe it in one of five ways. And what instead of going through the entire text, let me break it down for you. In our sheet that we have for you as the five attributes, we define it as the five is titled as follows. Number one, wholly definitional. Number two, partially definitional. Number three, non-essential. Um, and we'll explain what we mean by that in a moment. Number four, relational. And number five, actional. 
Okay, so now we're going to break this down for you. What the Rambam means when he, the first type of attribute, where he says you can describe something as wholly definitional, um, uh, is that you can try in describing the thing which you wish to describe as to provide one word or one phrase which completely captures the definition of that thing. The example that the Rambam gives is if, let's say I wanted to describe what does it mean to be a human being? So the definition, the, to the total definition that captures the totality of what it means to be human is that a human being is a living, rational being. Okay, that in those three words, we have captured the entire totality of what it means to be human. It is, the, it is that which is uniquely describes humanity, because human beings are a living and they are rational, which means they possess an intellect whereby they can, be, they can become self-aware and process information and so forth. Okay, now, is there, what the Rambam is going to set up to explain to us is that in, in each one of these five ways of describing God, we are going to fall short. And if you'll notice, there's a progression that the Rambam is going to be building up. The first of the five attributes, or the five ways of describing God, is most, let's say, offensive to our sensibilities of what or whom God is, because it is the most inaccurate. And we're going to be progressively going to different attributes which are less and less offensive or less and less inaccurate in the way that we can use them to describe God. And that's the progression and the order that the Rambam uses. So the most inaccurate way of describing God or attempting to describe God is to try and find one phrase which captures God in his totality. The only thing that we can say about God is that he is unitary. We really can't say anything accurate about God other than that. So to try and find a phrase that defines him would be the most inaccurate. And so what the Rambam means over, what he says over here is that the reason why uh, this is really not helpful in trying in this first category of attributes is that when you want to um, describe a human being as a living rational being, all you're doing is taking some words and substituting them for other words. Because the term human is tantamount to living and rational. So human being equals living rational being. And all you're doing, you're not advancing or ascribing any additional attributes to what the original title or of that thing actually is. So that's completely unhelpful and it doesn't advance any understanding anymore of a human being. Once you, once you say that is a human, you automatically know that that is a living rational being. And so therefore describing or creating an attribute of a human being as being living and rational is merely simply saying he's human in different terms. So that doesn't help at all, and therefore in our, in our attempt to describe God as being unitary or anything else that we're going to try to capture the totality of God is not going to be helpful. The second type of attribute is where you try to have something that is partially definitional of God. And so, for example, if I wanted to describe a human being as a living being, that would be a partial definition. If I wanted to describe a human being as a rational being, that would be a partial definition, because the total definition of humanity is living and rational. 
So if I took only one of the two, that would be a partial definition. It's part of its definition. So he says, and the reason this kind of attribute should be denied to God, he says on page 115, according to everybody, for if he has a part of an essence, his essence must be composite. And essentially what the Rambam is saying is that once you try to break down different components of what defines God as God, you are then already now suggesting that God is a composite being, meaning that he's no longer unitary, but he's made of different parts. Because every time you try to attribute God with a different kind of trait or quality, if he has multiple qualities, then God is multitudinous in some way. And therefore, that's a denial of his unity, and that is not acceptable. The third category, or the third attribute, which the Rambam gets into over here, is probably the most complicated one, because here the Rambam goes into a description of qualities. Now, if you try to describe the quality of something, it's you're not giving a, a definitional um, description, but you're saying certain qualities that this thing has that is not essential to it. So, for, for, ex for example, if I wanted to say that a human being is merciful, that might be a quality of a particular human being, but it is not essential to, the, to what it means to be human, because you could have certain human beings that are not merciful. You could have certain human beings that are, uh, are somewhat discompassionate, and therefore it is not an essential quality, but it is a quality nonetheless of a particular human being that you may wish to describe, a, a particular human being that you may wish to describe. Now, when it comes to the idea of quality, we're getting now into some Aristotelian terminology, and that's the reason why I don't want to go through the text line by line. There is something called Aristotle's Ten Categories, which you have listed for you in your handout. Um, the Ten Categories are the things that Aristotle believed could, if you used any of these Ten Categories, you could accurately describe anything that exists using the, and you could describe the totality of the thing you wish to describe using any or a combination of these ten categories. Substance, quantity, quality, relatives, somewhere, sometime, being in a position, having, acting, being acted upon. We're not going to go through all of these things, but I have the footnote. If you'd like to study these Aristotelian categories, you have a reference to an online encyclopedia, the Stanford uh, encyclopedia of philosophy, which, which breaks these down and explains them more thoroughly. For the purpose of this third category or third, third type of attribute, the Rambam picks out one of Aristotle's ten categories, which he feels is the most important, called quality, which you could say that there are certain qualities of anything that you describe, and uh, these qualities, or in Hebrew, they are called echut, that which makes up the, uh, the, the individual thing that you are trying to describe. And then the Rambam breaks down those qualities. Uh, there are four different kinds of qualities that Aristotle discussed. And the Rambam gives us what he calls four examples of qualities on the bottom of page 115 and, the, and on page 116. I'm going to break those down for you outside of the text. The four uh, types of quality 
of the way that you describe certain non-essential characteristics of the thing that you're trying to describe are either describing its habits and dispositions, that's one, two are its natural capabilities and incapabilities, three effective qualities and affections, and number four, shape. And to explain it in the way that the, in the examples that the Rambam gives, number one, habits and dispositions. You can say such and such or so and so, let's say you're trying to describe a particular human being. You can say that that particular human being, uh, we'll call him Ruvain, is a carpenter, an artist, or a scientist. Meaning that that human being that you are trying to describe, Ruvain, possesses certain skills or certain sets of knowledge or certain characteristics which are innate to him being a human being, which means intellectually he possesses certain things that are subsisting, as the Rambam writes, in the soul of that thing or of that person. That's the first type of quality. The second category is what we would call natural capabilities and incapabilities, which means that you're not describing an intellectual feature that is within the soul of that person because that person has acquired a certain skill, but rather you are describing um, uh, the uh, thing, a natural faculty that is in it or the absence of a natural faculty. So you're describing a feature of that thing that is not an acquired uh, uh, characteristic, but something that is innate that it was created with, such as saying that it is hard or it is soft. Or so, for example, you can say that a, um, uh, uh, that a substance is hard or soft, um, or a person is born as strong or weak. An innate characteristic of a human being that is not, uh, uh, is not gained through a particular effort or skill, but rather is something that the, the, the human being innately possesses. The third type of quality the Rambam calls effective qualities and, effect, and, and affections, which means imper, impermanent characteristics, things that are not permanent within that individual that come and go from time to time. So I look at Ruvain in a particular situation, and I say that Ruvain is nervous or timid or excited or happy. Right? Those are, those are qualities of Ruvain that are fleeting, that can come and go. And finally, the fourth category is to describe the dimensions of that person that I wish, to, wish the thing or the person I wish to describe, to say that so-and-so is tall, short, crooked, straight, um, dark, light, and so forth and so on. Uh, and the Rambam concludes on, uh, in his discussion that none of these are attributable to God because, again, it, it, with regard to, to, um, to, and he writes as follows, he says, For he does not possess quantity so that there might pertain to him a quality pertaining to quantity as such, nor does he receive impressions and affections so that there might pertain to him a quality belonging to the affections nor does he have disposition so that there might be faculties and similar things pertaining to him, nor is he may be exalted endowed with the soul so that he might have a habitus pertaining to him, such as clemency, modesty, and similar things, or have pertained to him that which pertains to animate beings as such, for instance, health and illness. It is accordingly clear to you that no attribute that might may be brought under the supreme janus of quality can subsist in him, may he be exalted." 
And so the Rambam's objective here is basically just to clarify for us that God does not possess any of, of this third type of attribute called quality. The Rambam calls quality, which is one of Aristotle's ten categories. Okay, the fourth group of attributes, and now we're getting to the less offensive or the less inaccurate descriptions of God. And the four and five are going to be more manageable in the eye in the view of the Rambam, even though number four is relation, where we could say that a human being, if we wanted to describe a human being, is in relation to somebody else or something else. We cannot say that about God because God is not relational to any other being because God is completely unitary, suris, occupying a completely different, uh, uh, completely different category of existence than any other existent being. But the Rambam wants to point out to us some of these examples. So, for example, to say uh, a relational attribute is to say, for example, that Zayid is the father of Bakr. The Rambam is just simply choosing Arabic names like we would say that Bob is the father of John, or John is the son of Bob. And the Rambam just basically says, Zayed is the father of Bakr. This is a relational description or attribute that we would give to a human being. We cannot give those kinds of relational attributes to God. He says in, on page 117, those notions of relation are not the essence of the thing or something subsisting in its essence as do the qualities. And therefore, this is less offensive in a sense, because you're not describing something innate which, which is within the thing you are describing, such as a quality or some kind of definitional ascription to the being itself, but rather you're just saying that the being in the way that being relates to other things outside of itself is defined as such. So I can be the father of something, I can be a friend of something, I can be next to something, right? Those are all relational descriptions. And therefore, there's nothing as offensive in describing God in that way, even though it's not accurate. At first thought, it seems that it is permissible to predicate of God, may he be exalted, attributes of this kind. However, when one knows true reality and achieves greater exactness in speculation, the fact that this is impossible becomes clear. There is no relation between God, may he be exalted, and time and place. And this is quite clear. God cannot be described in terms of time or space. For time is an accident attached to motion, um, and motion, on the other hand, I'm skipping a few lines, uh, is one of the things attached to bodies, whereas God, may he be exalted, is not a body. Accordingly, there is no relation between him and time, and in the same way, there is no relation between him and place. The, as This is quite progressive of the Rambam's thinking, in that what the Rambam is essentially suggesting is that you must possess corporeality or physical attributes in order to be described in terms of any kind of relation to place or time. Now, we certainly appreciate you must be spatially confined or physically uh, endowed in order to be in one place over another, and that's certainly not something that you can say of God. But even when it comes to chronology or time, you certainly cannot ascribe God as existing in one time over another, because that too, time is only something that binds those which have physical uh, natures. God does not have any physicality and therefore cannot be confined by time, which is really only an extension or a different, uh, an additional dimension of space. And therefore, skipping a few lines, it is clear at the first glance that there is no correlation between him and the things created by him. 
So to say that God in any way is relational to his creations is also inaccurate. Skipping another line, now he may be, may he be exalted has a necessary existence while that which is other than he has a possible existence as we shall make clear. God's existence is the only necessary existence that we will talk about when we begin section two of Moren Nevuchim, while everything else that exists has is not necessarily existent, but exists by the will of God. God's existence is the only what we call necessary existence. Nothing else that exists is necessary to exist. And as such, God cannot be relational or related in any true way to anything that he has created. Um, and if we turn to page 118, there is in truth no relation in any respect between him and any of his creatures. For relation is always found between two things falling under the same or proximate species, whereas there is no relation between two things if they merely fall under the same general genus. On this account, one does not say that this red is more intense than this green, or less, or equally so, although both fall under the same genus, namely color. You can say that one red is greater than another red, but you don't say that one red is more red than a something that is completely not red or green. If, however, two things fall under two different genera, there is no relation between them in any respect whatsoever, not even according to the inchoate notions of common opinions. This holds even for cases in which two things fall in the last resort under one higher genus. For instance, there is no relation between a hundred cubits and the heat that is in a pepper, inasmuch as the latter belongs to the genus quality and the former belongs to the genus quantity. So when we're trying to compare apples and oranges and God is completely in a, a, a sui generis, a totally unique category unto himself, it's really, really impossible to compare God to anything else. We skip down a few lines towards the bottom of page one uh, of this first paragraph on page 118. He says, however, relation is an attribute with regard to which it is more appropriate than with regard to the others that indulgence should be exercised if it is predicated of God. And what essentially the Rambam is saying is, I grant you that trying to confine God to a relational kind of attribution or description is inaccurate. But it's not as inaccurate to the previous three categories or three, three attributes that we try to pin upon God because those were trying to define him innately or essentially or in some way try to explain what God is. This is not trying to explain what God is, but rather explaining what God is related to in some way. Again, relational uh, description is one of Aristotle's ten categories, but very different from quality. And so uh, to say that God is essentially defined as, the, as a completely holy definitional phrase and to say God that it can be partially defined by something or to ascribe qualities to God, that's all off the table completely, says the Rambam. To say that God is related in some way is not as offensive, is not as uh, wholly inaccurate as the first three categories. And the reason, he says, is because it does not entail the positing of a multiplicity of eternal things or the positing of alteration taking place in his essence, may he be exalted, or a consequence of an alteration of the things related to him. And th those things that I've just mentioned are truly unacceptable, whereas saying that God is related in some way to another being is simply inaccurate because God is this sui generis, totally different category where he cannot be compared to anything else. 
but it's not as offensive uh, in the sense that you're not trying to describe God in a way that will de detract from his multiple from his absolute unity okay now we go into category five or really the fifth kind of attribute which is an attribute of actional of action and uh, here the Rambam, and this is where we'll read the text itself on the bottom of page 118, here the Rambam says that it is possible to describe God by his attributes, no harm, no foul. In other words, this is the only attribute that we can say about God that is not completely inaccurate and is acceptable, actually. So to say that, for example, Zayed built the door, uh, is not you're not describing any anything essential about Zayed, or Ruvain, or Bob, or John, other than that they did something, or that they are doing something. So you're not describing the essential nature of the person, you're not giving any qualities of the person, you're not trying to explain uh, some kind of relationship between that person and another entity, you're just saying something that that being does. And that is acceptable to say about God, so we'll read it inside. The fifth group of the affirmative attributes are as follows. A thing has its action predicated of it. I, I do not intend to signify by the words his action the habitus of an art that belongs to him who is described, as when you say a carpenter or a smith. I'm not saying that when I say that so-and-so did so-and-so, I'm not suggesting that that statement means that he possesses a certain skill that would fall under category three that we talked about before inasmuch as this belongs to the species of quality as we have mentioned. But I intend to signify by the words his action, the action that he who is described has performed, as when you say Zayed is the one who carpentered this door, built that particular wall, or wove this garment. So this kind of attribute is remote from the essence of the thing of which it is predicated. When I say that so-and-so did an action, I'm not in any way trying to describe the so-and-so who did the action. I'm just saying this is what happened as a result of his efforts. Does, does that help me understand who or what that being is? No, and therefore no harm, no foul. I'm not doing anything to help define anymore the nature of the being who, dealt, who did this. For this reason it is permitted that this kind should be predicated of God, may he be exalted, after you have as, as shall be made clear and this will be made clear in the next chapter, we'll talk about this more in the next chapter, that you come to know that the acts in question need not be carried out by means of differing notions subsisting within the essence of the agent, but that all his different acts, may he be exalted, are all of them carried out by means of his essence, and not as we have made clear, by means of a superadded notion. In other words, when I say that Zayed carpentered the door, or built the wall, or put, put up that window, there is an implication that Zayed is a skilled builder, and that would bring us back to the erroneous quality that we wanted to avoid, right? So as long as we avoid that, as long as we just talk about what God does and not infer from that that God has certain attributes of skill, then we're okay, is essentially what the Rambam is saying. A summary of the contents of the present chapter, therefore, to surmise everything, should be as follows. He, may he be exalted, is one in all respects. No multiplicity should be posited in him. There is no notion that is superadded to his essence. The numerous attributes possessing diverse notions that figure in the scriptures and that are indicative of him, may he be exalted, are mentioned in reference to the multiplicity of his actions. 
and not because of a multiplicity subsisting in his essence. And that's really the crux of this chapter. After going through these five attributes, what's the point that the Rambam is trying to bring across to us? He's trying to explain to us that when you look through Tanakh and you see how God is being described, it's only these uh, ascriptions or descriptions of God are only there to describe God's actions, that which he does in the world that we live in, and not to describe his essential nature. And some of them, as we have made clear, also with a view to indicating his perfection according to what we consider as perfection. And so therefore, we did find certain descriptions of God, as we've discussed in previous chapters, chapters 26, 46, and 47, where the descriptions that appear in Tanakh are merely there to describe that God is a perfect being, so that we should not misunderstand that there may be any imperfection within him. As for the question whether it is possible that one simple essence in which no multiplicity is posited should perform diverse actions, the, the answer shall be made clear by means of examples. And the Rambam is sort of giving us an appetizer for the next chapter, where he's going to discuss this idea that really is the crux of Neoplatonism, and that is, how is it that one completely unitary being is capable of being the source of so many multitudinous kinds of actions Sometimes those actions are the exact opposite of other actions that emanate from the same unitary source, the same unitary being. That's not something that we're going to discuss today. But if we wanted to surmise our chapter, again, the Rambam is, is emphasizing the idea that we cannot ascribe any kind of attribute in describing God's innateness or his essential makeup. We can only know God by what he is not, not by what he is. Uh, but if we wanted to describe God in terms of what he does, that's acceptable because we are not in any way trying to define what God is, but rather what God does. Defining what a being does does not uh, in any way encroach on the, uh, the essence of the individual and trying to understand the essence of the individual, but rather is just looking at what emanates from that individual, and therefore there's no harm in talking about God's actions. And I hope that was at least in some way comprehensible. Again, it's a very technical chapter, and that's the reason why we did not go through it word by word. But I invite you to look more into um, uh, Aristotelian categories and, uh, and look up especially the four different types of quality um, uh, in Aristotelian nomenclature. And I hope you have a, a happy rest of the Hanukkah. And uh, we'll see you next week. God willing, take care now.